Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Trainee Talk. My name is Jason and I'm the founder of TCLA. Now our guest today is Gordon Chung, a future trainee at Baker McKenzie. In the first half of this episode, Gordon talks us through his decision to pursue a career in commercial law in the UK and how a series of small opportunities had a substantial influence on where he is today. We discuss how he motivated himself to keep going, strengthened his application to make himself stand out, and leveraged his background to find a firm that suited his strengths. In the second half of this episode, we walk through Gordon's actionable advice on interviews and assessment centres. I really enjoyed speaking with Gordon, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Gordon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jason. So I've been enjoying your uh, many of your thoughtful LinkedIn posts recently, as uh-huh. you've been talking through different aspects of your journey. And I wanted to start with a story you shared recently about how you got into the Cambridge MCL. And also you started by discussing how you applied for a role as a research assistant. I was just wondering if you could tell me a bit more about that story. Uh, yeah, sure, Jason. Well, basically, because when I was still a first year student, I did not that well in my legal research and writing classes. Well, I have always been looking for opportunity to, you know, to maybe improve my legal research and writing, which is a pretty essential quality of a lawyer. So like in my third year of law school, mm-hmm. yeah, suddenly like an advertisement popped up and I saw that my company law professor uh, was recruiting a research assistant and I immediately applied and fortunately he uh, she asked me for an interview and i talked to her about uh, my interest in company law because i i actually when i studied in my law school i did uh, pretty well in my company law session so i think it would be a good opportunity for me to like actually do some research on it so i start uh working with her for about six to seven months and and during that period of time uh, i really learned a lot about research and writing in general because i read a lot of different articles and they are usually all scholarly articles written by scholars so i kind of mimic their way you know they present their arguments and how to formulate argument i learned a lot from them and also i learned about the methodology as well of how to do legal research so that experience definitely helped me to have a better understanding of academic research and writing and later on uh, after that research opportunity a very strange coincidence was that uh, my law school suddenly like organized for the first time an independent research program uh, in, a, in an overseas setting. So I could actually go to Germany and uh, did a few lessons in the German contract law and wrote an article regarding a comparative analysis between the German contract law and also the English contract law. Wow. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was pretty <laughs> amazing. And the timing was pretty on point because I literally just learned a lot about academic research and writing and yeah, there was this opportunity and then I enrolled in a course and I went to Germany and I actually studied the German contract law for a while and it took me uh, three or four months and every day I tried to spend uh, quite a lot of time on writing my article because I really wanted to make an achievement out of this uh, dissertation because I always wanted to publish an article on my own name and I knew that it was a little bit difficult for undergraduate students to do it but I really wanted to do it so I tried to take advantage of this opportunity. And after, at the end, I actually uh, wrote an article about, I think about uh, 15,000 words in total. And wow, that's huge. Uh, it, was like, it was like really huge. And I was actually not certain whether actually it would be accepted uh, for publication, but I sent it to a European, uh, uh, the European Journal uh, of Private Law. And 
they actually accepted my publication. And because the whole process is uh, also double bind peer review, so they didn't actually know uh, which person is the article. Yeah. So I was really flattered when I got accepted. And then I just, yeah, uh, got my article uh, published in the journal. And later on, like, uh, I remember like in my final year, I tried to research for any particularly uh master's degree because i always want to do one in the future so i found the master of corporate law degree in, at university of cambridge and it's tailored for corporate lawyers which was so interesting to me because i've been doing research in corporate law and also i wrote an article on contract law which is also commercial related and that's why i find it is a really good opportunity that's why i applied for yeah the program and well, interestingly, because I didn't think I would get in, because usually the I saw the student profiles, they were mainly like practitioners or mm. qualified lawyers in their own country. But very fortunately, I got in, and I I think I still think the reason probably was because I got a publication when I was an undergraduate student. So it was kind of lucky at the same time, yeah. And I think that's what what I loved about that story when I saw it is uh, it shows how you just took advantage of one opportunity, and then it just led to so many more opportunities ultimately ending with you getting to Cambridge. Yeah, it was a really a coincidence. that I, So that's why the lesson I tried to tell everybody was that sometimes just don't ignore like the importance of a minor or tiny little opportunity that offered you by anyone. Because mm. if you take one step further, you can possibly make an achievement out of it and do something you couldn't even believe you would be doing. So I think it's a really... Uh, good lesson and also a story that's why i wanted to share with uh, many of you guys so that just don't ignore you know the opportunities around you and there are plenty of opportunities in many areas i'm curious about that journey there so you started uh having doubts about your writing and then you went on to publish this like fifteen thousand word article what would you say was uh what you did or what kind of practices you did to improve your writing well, I think for me was that um, I have been consistently writing stuff. Uh, like, for example, for my uh, articles specifically, uh, when uh, as I work as a research assistant for my professor, I actually also try to write some articles on my own, but those are not very good version. <laughs> but at least I try to practice like writing on my own every day. So as time goes by, I try to, as I read so many scholar articles, and also I try to formulate arguments as I wrote my own articles, it's more like a practice makes perfect thing, you know. So I think because especially for academic writing or from writing in general, the more you practice, the more easily you will own that uh, specific skill. So I think uh, writing more is very important. And yeah, also because the fact that I was doing a dissertation and also had a supervisor and he actually guided me the way I structure my uh, thesis and also my arguments. So it definitely helped. And also the thing is because as soon as you publish uh, one article, you will find it way more easier to publish like subsequent article because I think that once you know about the way to actually uh, formulate arguments and to set the structure of an essay, it will be way more easier for you to publish articles. So I think it's always uh, difficult to start. But as soon as you work hard on it and spend time on it, you will uh, get an incredible skills, which will be very useful for the future. I was looking on your LinkedIn before this, actually, and I saw that you've published a range of like chapters uh, for different books. So has that that 
process become easier over time, just writing these long form, like quite technically complex articles? Yes, definitely. And I think, yeah, because I, when I pub- after I published uh, my first article, I also try to work on my assignment. Because when you, there are many undergraduate students, they actually have the opportunity to write uh, an assignment for their, some specific law courses. Mm-hmm. And I would suggest that uh, sometimes maybe if you got a pretty decent maybe performance in your assignment, you can try to work on it and further develop it into a scholarly piece as well. Because that's what I did as well. Because after that publication, I also did uh, two more publications when I was in my final year based on my assignment. And I tried to develop it into uh, scholarly articles. And I think that is actually a good starting point because when you already have a specific topic and you wrote something about it, you could actually further... uh, uh, polish the article so that it becomes publishable. So I think, yeah, I think it's more like a long-term process, but as long as you get practice more, it will get easier as well. I promised to bring it back to the application process, but there is uh, something I wanted to ask on this. Am I right in saying you wrote something about space law? Oh, yeah, that, that, that's actually interesting. <laughs> Can you tell me more about that? <laughs> yeah, because, uh, yeah. Uh, basically in my final year of law school, I participated in uh, international mooting competition. Yeah. And it was actually on uh, the international uh, space law. So that's why I developed an interest in the outer space at that moment. And subsequently, I saw an advertisement by the European Space Agency. They invite uh, young people to submit an article regarding the outer space. Uh, treaty and uh, and that's just a legislation regarding the outer space so after that i submit my article and they got accepted and they published it as a book and that's why my article became one of the book chapters and later on because of this first relationship with the european space agency they subsequently asked me to do one or two more articles on the outer space treaty wow yeah it's amazing and also interesting because uh, just uh, one point is, I think this outer space thing actually helped me get my training contract because the many interviewers actually asked me about my interest in the outer space because they find it interesting and I can talk about it passionately during the interview. I think that's why, yeah, putting a very interesting hobby or specific interest in some not very common area actually can intrigue the interest of uh, the interviewers or maybe it helps your application. I think that that was another one of your posts I saw recently, which is about doing interesting hobbies in order to make yourself memorable and stand out. And you were talking about how many applications recruiters are seeing. And yeah, definitely some something like Space Law that sounds so unique that I can imagine why interviewers pick that up. Yeah, definitely. So let's um, let's go into your journey then. So you'd made this decision to uh, do the MCL in Cambridge. So just stepping back, what made you decide to pursue a career in London? Well, actually, it was really, uh, I think it was a struggle for me at the moment because I actually didn't do my undergraduate law degree in like, the UK. So I came here for my master's of corporate law degree. Mm-hmm. And when I came here, I didn't really think about a career in commercial law. But later on, because the course is pretty corporate law focused, and I learned a lot about like M&A, private equity, etc., those kind of deals. And I just realized uh, the international elements of this kind of corporate transaction uh, really appeals to me. And I've always, honestly, I've always uh, wanted to work in a very international and multicultural environment like London. Because, mm-hmm. well, although where I was originally from, like Hong Kong uh, is deemed as international, but in London, it's just, 
when you look at the recruitment process, the kind of investment they make in talent acquisition and also the kind of organization they have been, uh, you know, have been helping people from different backgrounds to actually uh, get into the legal industry. I was just impressed by the way, you know, the firms actually uh, want, uh, you know, invest so much to acquire people that uh, are diverse and to maintain a diverse environment. I was really attracted by uh, this particularly um, a phenomenon in the UK because it was not that common in Asia, I would say, uh, specifically. So I think that's one of the things that really attracts me. And also in London, I think the level of training is also really top tier as well because uh, they have a more structured training program compared to the training culture in Hong Kong. So I would say uh, the level of training that I will likely acquire in the London also really appeals to me. So you're this international student. Did you have doubts about your ability to secure a training contract? And also, do you feel you faced additional challenges as an international candidate? Yeah, I think definitely there are there were challenges for me at that moment because the moment I decided to look for a training contract in the UK, I literally need to start from zero because. You know, in the UK, people or first year students, they started uh, going to open days or law firm events when they were in their first year. And literally as a law graduated, I need to start it over and also, you know, went to so many open days and recruitment events. It was a pretty difficult thing for me to do at the moment because right after I graduated, I applied uh, for training contract. But I uh, didn't get it as I didn't get into uh, the firms and I applied unsuccessfully. And after that, I tried to really get to know each law firm. So actually, I remember within three or four months, I actually went to like 10 or 11 open days at different law firms. Wow. Because, yeah. Right. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Because I really think that I need to catch up because I was, yeah, like all the people, they were like trying to understand the different culture and I start uh, really slow, so I got to catch up. So that's why I try to go to as many law firms as possible and also uh, to do a lot lots of networking to mm-hmm. actually know about the law firm's differences. Uh, but but those, different, uh, those experiences actually help me a lot because right now, for example, when someone mentioned a specific law firm, I could at least tell one or two things about the firm's speciality and things. So I think it really helped me to understand the whole legal market in general. So I think it was really helpful as well, although it was difficult to begin uh, as an international student. And one additional thing I think is it was also difficult is that I I have an issue with my visa as well, which I think is, is a problem that many people are facing, especially if they are graduate and they still haven't found a training contract. So when uh, my visa expired uh, four months after I graduated, and at that moment, I couldn't find a training contract. So I I was thinking, what could I do? Because I really want to work in London, but yeah, but I couldn't, you know, violate the immigration law, right? <laughs> but, yeah. so, so I just actually applied for a legal internship in Italy. Uh, there was uh, this intergovernmental organization uh, working on the drafting of uh, commercial treaties. So I tried to work as uh, an intern there. And also because it was near London, just in case I had an interview, mm. I could fly back from Italy to London easier than from Asia to London. So that was also my consideration. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But well, unfortunately, I actually didn't get anything when I was in Italy. So I didn't actually need to fly to London. Hey, right. Yeah. So it was actually sad because like, yeah, I actually, I planned to maybe to get closer to London, but at the end, I didn't really get anything. 
So after the internship, I actually need to uh, went back to Hong Kong. And at that moment, I still try to apply for a training contract. And at that moment, I was doing the one for Baker McKenzie. And I, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I passed the video interview stage. And, and when I was in Hong Kong, I, yeah, I got a email and they said I was invited for an assessment center in London. So I, I just throw back from London, did the interview. So that's basically kind of like the story. Like, yeah, it was, it was not easy because yeah, as an international student, you have more uncertainties. Yeah, so I speak to a, a few international students from time to time, and that's definitely something that like, we don't have to worry about, this idea of a visa expiring and having to go back home. But that must be a, a huge concern. When you were going through this process of applying to firms and you know facing rejection, and then ultimately you did have to go back, how did you um, just deal with those rejections? And how did you motivate yourself to keep going and not give up? I think I really try to stay positive all the time because it was a really difficult situation because right after i graduated usually people always kept telling me oh you are from cambridge you're gonna got an offer very soon but the reality it wasn't like that it was completely different from what i expected at the beginning i still need to do like a lot of work it's like really a lot of hard work in order to get to know the market and also to get interviewed at law firms and i remember like after i graduated i moved to london alone and also i need to do a lot of applications. At the same time, I also wanted to apply for a paralegal position as well, because in case I couldn't get a training contract, I still need to get some legal work experiences to help my CV or to help my training contract application. But the thing is the UK legal market was really competitive and I literally couldn't find a paralegal role for two or three months. And I just sat in Costa Coffee every day, meeting application for both paralegals and training contract. Right. Like trying to hope that anyone will get back to me with yeah. a positive response. And also my family was back in Hong Kong. So I was pretty, yeah, it was not a very uh, pleasant moment, I would say. Yeah, because it was like really tough because all your best friends or family, they are from uh, my own country. And also the thing is, uh, I did my master in Cambridge. All the people are from different parts of the world. Uh, they may just go back to South America, uh, Latin America, or they just go f- uh, go back to you know their home country. But I was kind of like the minority who tried to pursue a career in London, which is yeah. So that's why it was a really tough moment. But yeah, I just try to watch a lot of TED talks as well. I think that's probably <laughs> most people do yeah. when they are like done because TED talk really help. I think, and also I watch a lot of stories of those successful people because most successful people in the world they like got rejected or setbacks so i I watched stories for example jk rowland got rejected 12 times before publishing harry potter just try to keep myself motivated all the time and i did it uh, did it every morning because in the morning i just yeah listen to these kind of things and kept motivated and start doing application again so it's just a routine that you need to keep up to keep yourself motivated and also surround yourself with positive people. Although I didn't have that many uh, people to rely on at that moment, I still have some friends in London. So I just yeah try to be around with uh, friends that are positive. I think it's also very important so that they will support you and also uh, give you some positive energy when you were at your dance. So I think that's also very important. To go to that point about watching videos, uh, yeah, I... I did the same thing, like <laughs> Steve Jobs, Jack Ma, Elon Musk. Like I used yeah. to watch loads of those motivational videos just to it gives you that hope that you know 
people before they became successful, they had to go through challenges. Yeah, I think sometimes we just need to know there are people going through the stuff you are going through at the moment. So yeah, I think it's really helpful to know the stories of other people. I think that's also probably why I kept posting on my LinkedIn because there are like really many people testing me every day about it actually inspired that because some people even told me they were about to give up on something and uh, they saw my post yeah they kind of want to that it was probably the best message i've ever received you know like yeah. so i yeah that was so lovely I've, i bet you know this feeling because the corporate law academy posting on linkedin is is difficult because you don't want to be like for me, at least, when I first started, I didn't want to be like that LinkedIn guy that's always posting. But you realize that if you can just change one person's opinion or, exactly. you know, motivate one person to keep going, then it's worth it. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I, I, I'm thinking recently that I, because I post pretty uh, frequently, mm. there must be some people who may not necessarily want to see that kind of content. And But I, I really understand because not too many people, not, not all the people who are going to like your content, right? That's just how it works. Yeah. But I just... Yeah, I just like what you said. I mean, at least there are one or two people and there are actually people telling me this every day that it helps. That's why I just keep doing it because not for those people who don't like this content, just for those people who are actually inspired by my content. I think that's enough for me to keep doing the things I'm doing. Yeah, uh, no, I definitely think you should keep going. Yeah, thank uh, you, yeah. Seems to have really struck a, struck a chord in a lot of people. Going to, so you're going through this process, you're having uh, challenges. Were you trying to do things around this time to strengthen your, your application profile? Because uh, as I mentioned, I, uh, after I graduated, although I couldn't find a paralegal role for a month, at the end, there was a recruitment agent uh, called me. They have a paralegal role. It was actually a document review vote, but I think it's prob- uh, pretty common for a fresh graduate or people who have no experience in the legal sector to start with uh, document review roles. Because, yeah, they usually need uh, more people, even those who haven't done uh, LPC could possibly get a role at uh, you know, pe- those uh, legal outsourcers. And so that's why I start with this uh, paralegal role. And because one of the things some recruiter mentioned during my interview was that because I was I'm from Hong Kong and I didn't actually have work experience in the UK, which it makes sense. So I just try to show that I would, you know, dedicate my time to working in the UK. So that's why I've been looking for a paralegal role and I did some uh, document review roles. And those roles are actually kind of helpful because I could actually work with some of the lawyers in that firm for those projects, which was a pretty good experience as well. And so that's why uh, it really helped me to uh, show that I try my best to actually gain some work experience in at London. And also, I try to um, see opportunity in Italy. As I mentioned before, I work for the intergovernmental organization. And it was about a legislation on asset finance. So it's also very commercial law related uh, area. So I think the reason why I chose that opportunity is that I always know my strength as an international student is my internationality and my ability to work with diverse people. I just want to kind of leverage uh, uh, you know, on that strength and gain more similar experiences. So that's why going to Italy uh, for the internship for me is a bonus to my internationality. And I, yeah, that's why a firm like, for example, Baker McKenzie will probably be interested in people like me because Baker is a really diverse firm. Like the, diverse intake of training is uh, pretty apparent like when you look at like the 
trade needs uh, at Baker McKenzie in general. So I think uh, definitely the way I try to seek different opportunities, uh, even in different countries, help make myself more marketable uh, for the law firms like uh, international law firms. I also noticed that you didn't apply for vacation schemes, uh, which is interesting because you're this international candidate. You might think, okay, I need to do a vacation scheme because I need to prove my motivation in the UK with some kind of experience. And I think there's also quite a few people that might be listening, trying to decide whether to do a vacation scheme, but maybe they can't because they can't take the time off. So yeah, can you just tell me a bit more about why you decided to just go for training contracts? And did you find that to be a more difficult process? I think uh, for the training contract and the vacation scheme, it's always a difficult choice for many people. But I think as a graduate, I would say if you have acquired prior experiences in the legal field, uh, then I think it would be advisable to apply directly for a training contract. Because actually, I, I'm i not sure whether this is true, but I also heard from people saying actually the competition for vacation scheme is even more intense because they receive way more applications for vacation scheme than a direct training contract application. I remember the Baker McKenzie one, the recruitment process is pretty similar for both uh, vacation schemers and also training contract uh, applicants. So I think when you decide whether you want to apply for a vacation scheme or a training contract, uh, first, as I said, look at your own experiences, whether you think you're ready to apply for a training contract. And also for me, it was also not really an option for me, like the vacation scheme, because my visa was going to expire. Yeah. I just could not legitimately you know, work in the UK. So I just could go for the training contract applications rather than the vacation scheme. So you applied to Baker McKenzie, you got to the video interview. I know candidates fairly universally like all hate this idea of doing a video interview, you know, staring at a camera, trying to answer these questions in a short amount of time. What advice do you have for approaching a video interview? Personally, I'm not sure whether it's true for every video interviews, but I always think that for a video interview, the recruiter doesn't necessarily want to like see you giving a perfect answer to every question. Yeah. Because it is basically inevitable that the questions that are going to appear for the video interview are pretty much unexpected. So what the recruiter want to see, I think, is that you can remain calm and still give a very structured answer to the question, even though some unexpected circumstances arise. So whenever I do a video interview, if there's a question maybe that is unfamiliar, I'm unfamiliar with, I would still try to provide a very structured approach to the answer. Like if they ask me to express an opinion, I would try to give my you know, introductory paragraph about my general opinion. I also try to categorize my reasoning into you know, uh, firstly, secondly, thirdly, so that to try to remain a structure and organize for my answer. I think it helps. And also uh, try to remain calm. I know it's really difficult when you're like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sitting in front of a camera, talking to no yeah. one, like, but yeah, you still need to at least to convince yourself that you are okay. Like you, you should remain calm. And also tr I think being able to finish your answer is also quite important. Like it's better if you leave a few seconds uh, not saying anything, then you couldn't, be able to finish your answer and if you leave a few seconds you can just say thank you so much for your time or something like that then i think it should be okay it's true yeah and yeah and finally just i think it's better to uh, have a better camera as well <laughs> because <laughs> in the past i actually had experience that i didn't have a really good camera and oh, yeah. the resolution kind of affected my performance yeah just yeah but yeah that's a good point i, I don't think i've ever heard that point or really thought about it but i, I think <laughs> that is that is a very good point actually if you're 
like the the interviews reviewing loads of these video interviews if you'll suddenly come across as like this really dodgy camera that keeps breaking out or it's not really clear that or or especially the sound quality if that's not clear yeah that's interesting that could definitely affect the performance yeah in terms of so preparing for the video interview so that's like the performance but was there anything you did to so you knew you had this baker mckenzie video interview was there anything you were doing to prepare for it because it was like really difficult to predict what kind of question is going to come up for the video interview for me i just try to prepare all sort of potential kind of questions like because um there may be questions about the firm possibly. So I just try to get a better understanding of the firms about like its practice areas and also all kinds of uh, uh, matters about the firm. And also I try to prepare my competency-based questions as well. Because for each video interview, there must be one or two competency-based questions from time to time. So I think that is also good. And also, I, actually, it was not that practical, but I try to prepare for some scenario-based question because it was also common that some firms may ask you questions like in a specific scenario, what will you do uh, in that scenario? Like maybe you have a tight deadline, uh, then what will you do to try to keep all the things in order while doing them still uh, perfectly? So I think it's just try to cover as many types of questions as possible. Yeah. Although exactly at the end of the day, like the exact question wouldn't be the same, but you still at least have some, you, you'll be more confident just, I think, because that's very important. If you're confident about, in general, about the type of questions. So I think it's just more like uh, practicing makes you more confident about the way you speak and how you speak. And that actually helps a lot in a video interview, even though you don't get the question completely right. Yeah, I completely agree, especially with video interviews, like you said, because there isn't this opportunity to have a discussion. Uh, much of it's just about like your kind of like the delivery rather than the actual answer. So are you composed? Can you give a clear answer? Yes. I think there's a great point about the structure, just trying to use some kind of whether it's like firstly, secondly, thirdly, then that just comes across as quite professional. Mm, yes, exactly. So you uh, found out you passed the video interview. You must have been excited there. So at this point, were you, you know, imagining your future with Baker McKenzie or were you having doubts or what was your like feeling at the time? Yeah, actually, after passing the video in the film, I was, I tried to be calm, to be honest. <laughs> although, yeah, yeah. although I was a little bit excited as well. But because in the past, sometimes I feel like, yeah, I think many candidates are also doing the same thing because when you pass one stage, you kind of imagine, but like, mm. you think too much. You try to like think, oh, what well, I'm going to perform in the final interview, although you're still in the first level, like <laughs> yeah. first stage interview. Yeah. I think that's, a not, that's not a good strategy. Yeah, <laughs> because I think like the best strategy is actually to focus exclusively on the current task because that's actually is the better strategy because just try to do your best for the current task and then when you progress to the next stage focus on that task exclusively i think that's a better mindset than trying to think you know think too much about your future or etc yeah that's my personal advice yeah i like that so you're feeling excited but you're trying to stay calm and then do you want to just walk me through so I assume, did you fly just before your interview? Did you fly like the night before back to the UK? I actually flew to Thailand first to have a like two days holidays to calm down. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I, I flew just before? Thailand. Yeah, just, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I did a lot of preparation though. It's like, because yeah, I remember yeah. like two weeks beforehand, they told me about the interview. So I right. did a lot of preparation during the week. And then just the two, because I know that sometimes 
you know that you are that you prepare a lot. Like it's just no point for you to keep preparing the same stuff. I just rather take a break because sometimes I feel like taking a break can actually help me to perform better and yeah. be less stressful. So I actually that's why I went to Thailand for two days. And the interesting thing I, is actually I even went to because one of my best friends in Thailand. Mm-hmm. He's actually a lawyer at the Baker McKenzie Thailand oh, wow. office bank. Right. Okay. <laughs> I actually went for a networking session with them, like, but it's a fun. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, two days before my interview, like, yeah, Baker McKenzie. And then, That's hilarious. Yeah, it was interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah. And right now, I'm going to be his colleagues in London. But anyway, yeah. But yeah, uh, my point is just, yeah, I took a break and then I went back to, uh, to attend my interview in London. And actually, I, I really felt like I was more relaxed in the whole interview after the break. And I think I performed way better than the previous interviews I have because in the past, I, I focused so much on doing so well to get that one offer. Mm. And I felt like I was too stressful. So right now after, yeah, just taking a more relaxed approach to the whole thing, I actually give my the, a better performance in the interview. That's so interesting. Uh, that's, uh, yeah. that's, yeah, because um, I mean, it Depends on the candidate, but I, I think I was the kind of person, and I've seen a few others where, at least when I first started going through the process, I would like prepare right to the last like minute, even like the wake up early in the morning, and then I would get to the interview feeling very like stressed out, and I think I would come across as quite like rigid or like um, just really formal because I was such in like an interview mood. Yeah, yeah. Whereas it sounds like, yeah, like maybe candidates can't exactly fly to thailand uh, yeah. just taking a break to yeah it, um yeah. maybe even just the night before just taking a break if you feel like you've prepared a lot just to because you're right i think a, a huge maybe even over half the battle is again like with the video interview not so much about your answers but the way you come across yeah that's true i i absolutely agree with what you just said but also i think it, maybe it depends on some candidates i know some people they like to prepare all the time before the interview which is also good for them because i mean some people have a different strategy when it comes to dealing with stress and also how to uh, you know perform well in interviews so i think it also varies from present to present and was the Baker mckenzie was it an assessment center or just an interview yeah it's actually an assessment center is there was a partner interview there was an associate interview and there was also a group exercise and there was actually also a proofreading exercise, but I think it was a minor element of the whole assessment center compared to the other three assessments. Right. I don't think we've actually on this podcast talks about group exercises uh, in much detail before. I used to, that's probably out of all the assessments, I think I used to find the group exercises the hardest, um, especially when I was not necessarily feeling that confident through the process. There were sometimes some quite dominating characters and then over time, I had to learn how to like stand my ground, but yeah. also, yeah, show that I was good in a team. So how did you approach that? And what's your advice for people doing that kind of exercise? Yeah, for me, actually, I, I have a like more personalized advice because I think for me, I'm a perfect example of someone who actually speak the least, but who try to make good points. So I still, so I think for a persons like me or some people, they may not necessarily be the loudest or like the, those people who give so many opinions. For those people, I think you can, it's not necessarily for you, it's not necessary for you to actually give so many opinions, but just try to focus on making a really good point. I remember during the assessment, actually on my feedback for my training contract application as well, they actually told me that uh, it's like there was 
like organizing some events or something. I actually mentioned something pretty random. I, I actually uh, uh, I suggest to organize a, something like the, along the line of the ice bucket challenge to raise money, which was actually a pretty creative <laughs> idea because yeah, they actually find that pretty creative and innovative. Yeah. So I think the key is to just make some very interesting or maybe. Yeah, a bit think outside of your boss. Don't just stick to the traditional ways of thinking. I think that's what actually helped me to get through the group exercise because I didn't really speak that much. And at the end, I, I didn't even speak like for maybe a minute or two, but still they find that when whenever I make a point, I make a really good point. So I think that's the element that uh, law firms are also looking for because they don't really necessarily look for people who speak a lot but mm-hmm. they actually care whether you actually give a good opinion i think that's a really important thing for candidates maybe who are not that confident about uh the way they speak or like how many things they have they have spoken in the interview hopefully that's reassuring to i know there's quite a few people that might be quite introverted or a bit quite more reserved characters um like you said you don't have to be yeah. this this leader that's like taking charge um you can just as long as you're making good points yourself yeah exactly. maybe for some candidates it is hard to just have the courage to speak up in a group exercise do you just have any pointers there if uh yeah let's say there are quite like strong characters how did you have the confidence just to you know make the the points that you did have i think you can just think it as just a cooperative exercise because at the end of the day just don't try not to think it like an assessment because when you try to think this way you would try so hard to perform but at the same time you're not brave enough to perform that will be yeah you are like struggling inside but like that's not helpful that's I think true try to be yeah. a normal as normal as possible just when you want to say something just try to think of a group thing you really for example if you want to organize an event together just try to think that as a real event, like you're really going to organize this event. So what you're going to say about that. So I think it's a really casual conversation as well. I think that actually helps. So I think you just kind of need to change your perspective on the whole thing. I know it's still kind of difficult, but it's way better if you keep thinking so hard to how to stand out while, yeah, it's just not helping if you keep thinking like that. And then did you say there was a associate and a partner interview or was it just, just one of those? Oh, no, there, there are two separate interviews, actually. Yeah, the associate one and the partner. And what was the difference in focus between the two? Uh, for me, I would say the interviews at Baker's McKenzie is probably one of the most, because they really try to get to know you. So the questions are actually pretty unpredictable. It really depends on what you actually put in your application form and your CV. So the question is really personalized to my own circumstances. Like, I mean, I remember in the partner interview, for example, they actually uh, asked me something like, uh, Gordon, what bring you to the outer space? Like, <laughs> they actually asked me about my outer space. So actually, at that moment, I think for partner interview especially, I think candidates need to be more genuine and passionately discuss about their hobby or why this firm or why commercial law, those kind of questions. Because mm-hmm. being passionate is really important in partner interview at the end of the day i think firms just want uh, at least want to hire someone who really want to rest for their firm or can show particularly passion or enthusiasm on a particular area because they want to hire someone who wouldn't quit because you know something happened in the tough hours or like you know the work pressure etc so they want to see some candidates who are passionate and also interesting as well because people who are like not showing their passions about the firm because 
they want don't want really want mechanical lawyers. I would say they want people who have some kind of personality. So I think it's also good to actually show some kind of personality or yeah, your passion. I love that that part. I see that so much when doing the mock interviews. From my perspective, it's just a small change required by you,、uh, and it goes back to this point of like interviews can be a bit of a performance. If you if you're naturally quite like a reserved, I think I was quite like this.、Uh, my voice is quite monotone. I didn't know that I wasn't being that enthusiastic, but sometimes, yeah, just like someone pointing it out or just seeing yourself, the way you, when you do discuss a firm or commercial law, just adding a bit more passion in, I think it really goes a long way to、uh, showing your motivation. And also, just one point, maybe I want to add is well, actually, when you think carefully, why you want to join the firm? If you really want to join the firm, you automatically discuss. This question passionately, right? If you really want to join the firm,、True. it's also an indicator of whether you really actually want to join the firm. For me, I really want to join the firm, so that's why it was pretty natural for me to actually show my passion for the firm. So I think that's a pretty good sign of whether you actually like the firm. And then when it came to asking questions about you and kind of like pitching yourself or like justifying or talking about your experiences. Was there a particular way how you tried to stand out when doing that, or, or try to show that you were an interesting person? I think for me during the whole interview, I was just trying to be、uh, very genuine to each answer because the questions they ask are pretty personal. Or like for example, the reason why I wanted to work in London, the reason why commercial law, for example, the reason why I wanted to join a firm as an international student. All these questions are pretty particular. To my personal circumstances or my background, so whenever I gave answer, I just try to give really genuine answer, and I I think it's also worked perfectly in、uh, that kind of inf- interview like this because there are two kinds of interview. I always think because one kind of interview, the partners they really want to get to know you or the people they want to want to get to know you and ask question based、uh, mostly on your CV. But there are another type of interview which I experienced before is they keep taking notes when you are having the interview,、uh, yeah. and you can. Yeah. So that is a different style and different vibe, and different people may like different style. Like they may like a more structured interview, but for me, I actually like a firm has a more casual or conversational interview with the candidate. I think that's also one of the reasons why I accept my training contract immediately with Baker McKenzie because I really think that the people there care about me as a person, not only the way I, you know. Like how I fulfill all the ticks of、uh, all the boxes of the firm, and then were you asked any commercial questions at your interview? Well, that's interesting. I think they didn't ask so many like commercial awareness questions, but they、mm-hmm. did ask the question based on my CV because, as I mentioned before, I have publication. I remember I have a pu- publication regarding、uh, the contract law on frustration of contract. Uh, uh, it's like a concept. Whenever there's a like change of circumstances, it will make the initial contract obligation、uh, impossible to perform. So actually, the associate asked me a questions like, recently because of Brexit, the rents are going high, and there was a scenario whether the firms try to end the tenancy agreement because of、uh, un- unforeseen circumstances, which is Brexit. So,、right. what do you think about this issue? They、yeah. actually asked me this based on my publication, which is another <laughs> way of asking me and testing me my commercial awareness.、Wow. So, I was a little bit surprised at the moment. At first, I tried to pretend calm and I drink, I drank some water, yeah, because I really didn't know how to answer at first. And then I tried, yeah, I tried to ask. It was a really good question. I say, and、uh, do you mind if I have a like 
some uh, uh, give me some time to think about the question. I actually ask something like that. I guess, yeah. Yeah, like 30 seconds or something. I really, because especially when they ask you a very difficult question, don't try to give an immediate response because it was so dangerous. Especially you cannot unsay what you just said, right? So you just need to try to think about like very carefully what you're gonna like what what are gonna come out of your mouth. So you kind of need to think really carefully. So I think really carefully what my arguments would be. So I answer that question uh, at least on a very you know rational manner so that the associate was pretty happy with my answer. Probably he didn't even know the answer to be honest. Like, like <laughs> it's a very yeah random question, but it was an interesting kind of question to test your commercial awareness because I never heard of people like. Yeah, having this kind of question as well is really personalized to my CV. It sounds like that could be a question he was just asking to see how you would respond to it, um, especially when it's like a really difficult commercial question. But I think the way you approach that sounds like, I think that's one of the hallmarks you see with a good candidate is if it is a very difficult question and, and it, if it's clearly something they won't know off the bat, the difference between whether they just take a few seconds to think about it rather than just jumping into the first answer that, that they came up with. Exactly. And also, actually, I realized that uh, when, when, when I actually stopped and drank some water, the associate was taking looks on that. So I <laughs> hey, think it's a good right. sign. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> You'd never think. Well, they must do, I think, because, it, again, it's part of that delivery point. It shows the way you're, you're responding. Amazing. This is, uh, I've really enjoyed uh, speaking. It's good we finally uh, got to speak because I know we've uh, we've messaged in the past, but we never had a proper opportunity to, to meet or speak before. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good opportunity. Yeah, it's lovely talking to you as well. And did you have any, just before we end, did you have any final advice or anything we haven't discussed that you wanted to mention to candidates? I think just in general, I would say uh, for training contract application, mm-hmm. because it was a very long battle for many of the people, because I realized that the majority of people, especially in London, many law graduate and law students struggling in the legal industry and they try to find paralegal roles while applying for a training contract. I think sometimes because everyone has different paces in their life and I feel like sometimes, uh, especially people in the legal industry, they try to compare themselves to others very often, especially when you see someone who got an offer before they graduate from college. But at the same time, uh, someone else... Uh, couldn't find a training contract for years after graduation but i just want to remind like everyone that opportunity is you know pretty unpredictable sometimes so sometimes you can't really a very you know uh, smooth life and with all the opportunity being available uh, at the time convenient to you so i think just you need to keep trying and despite uh receiving rejections at times I think perseverance and also persistence is the key to land a training contract. Because most of people, if they got rejected, they would probably quit. And But as soon as you keep working on it or keep applying, your chance of success is still more than zero. But as soon as you stop applying and give up, your chance would definitely be zero. So just keep trying. And I believe that if you put the hard work there and also try your best, I think eventually you will find something, you will have a good legal career in the future. If people wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Is that through LinkedIn or anywhere else you prefer? Yeah, I think LinkedIn is a pretty, yeah, it's the more convenient platform for me as well at the moment, at least. Yeah, I'm pretty active on there. So yeah, that would be a great place to start. (laughs) I encourage uh, anyone listening to, yeah, add Gordon on LinkedIn because he does, I think it's fairly regularly, at least possibly daily, these (laughs) posts. 
but it's great. I yeah. mean, it gets huge traction and there's such good uh, advice in the post that you share. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you very much, Gordon, for coming on the podcast. It was a pleasure to have you. Uh, it's my pleasure, no worries. I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast episode. If you want an easy way to support the podcast, please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating or even a review. It goes a long way to helping others find the podcast, so your support is very much appreciated.